This morning is uh, February 3rd. It's 2013. I always preach about what I'm experiencing during the week. All you have to do is look back at 52 or 104 or... Goodness gracious, these days we're preaching four and five times a week. You can tell what I'm experiencing. You can watch my walk take its normal mountain peaks and valleys just through the sermon titles. That sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? That's because you haven't heard the sermon title. Supersized meal. The sermon title. Take that all in, friends. All extra 50 pounds. I'm on my way to India, where the average man is about 130 pounds. And I will honestly be able to say that the Lord has made me twice the man they saw last time. That's the only joke I'm going to tell you today. Jay Williams shared a message Wednesday, and it blessed me. And I want to pick up where he left off. Is that okay? He left off with Jeremiah 6, 16. So I'm going to put it on the screen, but turn in your Bibles. I'm going to warn you as well because I love you. I do not allow people to sleep while we preach. So if you fall asleep, there is a target on your head. And uh, I will come get you. I'll grab you by the shoulders. I'll stand you up. I'll ask the people around you to do it. All we're asking is that you give the Holy Ghost a chance in your life. That you show Jesus the respect of staying awake in His presence. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, O nations, that word is goyim. It means Gentiles. Therefore, hear, O nations, observe, O witnesses, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people. The fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. This is not an apocalyptic message. This has nothing to do with the downfall of our nation or pointing at other people. This is a message aimed at me and aimed at you. The ancient paths, the good ways, the ways that bring peace and rest for our souls are not always obvious. They're not immediately recognizable. And there's a reason for that. According to this, it's because of our sin and our sinful nature. I want to invite you today to take a look into the mirror of God's Word. I want you to honestly examine your life. For a little bit, we're going to put away a victim mentality. For a little bit, we're going to move away from the idea that it's our parents' fault that it's a policeman's fault, that it's a teacher's fault, that it's anybody's fault other than our own. We're going to take a hard look at our own life. We're not always real comfortable doing that. It's easier to examine everyone else's life. But this morning, I believe that the Spirit is going to put us in the crosshairs. Here comes Proverbs 25, 2. It is to the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Remove the dross from the silver. Remove the wicked from the king's presence. And his throne will be established in righteousness. Let us pray for a moment. Mighty God, 
we ask that you would remove the dross from our hearts. Lord, the competing thoughts from our hearts. Lord God, we ask that those obstacles to your kingdom would be crushed in our paths. Lord God, that you would skim right out of our lives, circumcise out of our hearts, remove from our ears the things that stand in the way of your kingdom. We want, Lord God, to see the glory of kings. And they're worth searching out. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says it this way, The secret things, Mark, I thought of you. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. If the Lord Himself reveals something to you today, saints, if Jesus Himself speaks to you by way of His Spirit, you will own what He speaks to you. He won't have said it to me. He won't have said it to Bob. He won't have said it to Matthew. He will have said it to you. And if the Holy Ghost speaks to you today, you own what it is that He has told you. So if through His Word He convicts you of an area and says, you must change, you own that. I don't. You do. You will be held responsible for what you do with it. The kingdom of God is founded on one principle. A man can hear from the heavens and respond. And his response is credited to him as righteousness. Amen. So I'm going to ask the Lord of glory to speak to your hearts today. Amen. In the same way that He speaks to my heart. And then we're going to own whatever He tells us. If He tells us that we're going to be healed and show faith for it, then we're going to walk forward and show faith for it. If He tells us it is time to take our stand, then we're going to take our stand. But we will own what the Lord told us because the opposite is unthinkable. He said, if you disown me before men, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. Yes, Jesus. How do we disown Him? You disown Him when you've heard from heaven and you ignore it and walk the other way. I want to own the things that God has given me. When He shows us something this morning, we're going to make up our minds to own it. Can you all say, own it? Own it. Come on, saints. As I thought about the Word today, I've been preaching a long time. I have some pretty impressive pastors in our midst. I have some amazing friends in our midst. When I speak with you, I'm always encouraged to see What's going on in your heart and life? And I'm going to admit something to you. There's a little bit of something in me that just wants to bring something that, oh, it's just good, right? The Lord gave me such a simple word today. We're almost exclusively going to be in John 4. This will not impress the theologians, but I believe it is the very heart of heaven. It came to me this morning between 5.30 and 8 while we prayed about the things that the Lord moved us to pray about. And one phrase that a man said, when he said it, the Holy Ghost said, that's it. Are you ready? Do you want what the Holy Ghost gave us? Then here comes John 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. It's funny what men are interested in. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and he sat down by a well. It was about the sixth hour. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by a well. 
That's an important phrase I left out. When we look at these very first few verses, the first six verses, there are some things that immediately should jump out to you. Why would the writer make it a point to say Jesus did not baptize these people? Is it a good thing to be baptized? Anybody here? Yes. Who in here has been baptized? This is a scriptural command, is to be baptized. So we hold baptisms regularly. Why would the scripture make a point to say that Jesus did not baptize these people? It was his disciples. This is because Mark 1, 8 says that I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus has something more than a natural cleansing, something more than just a pledge that is a statement of a clear conscience before God, something more than church initiation, something more than just a landmark in your life. He will endow you with supernatural power. Now, when we think of Jesus, we have 2,000 years of history that form our thoughts about Jesus. This is true of all historical figures. When you think of Alexander the Great, you might think of many things about him. But where did you learn those things? You learned them from what people said about him. They say he's great. Does that make him great? If he died an alcoholic, does that make a difference? If he was an immoral man, does that make a difference? History called him great. Does that make him great? No. History has told us so often something that is true. But they've emphasized this truth to the point that it has caused a problem. History has told us that Jesus is God, and he is. In the name of Jesus, the fullness of the deity dwells in him. Amen. That's beyond contestation. But when you're told for 2,000 years, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. When you see the name Jesus, you thank God. And that is a good thing. Except Philippians teaches us that he set aside those things. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He took the nature of a servant. This is a very, very important thing. Because when you see Jesus in the scripture, you can forget things. You can forget that he was tired from the journey. You can forget that he was a human being. 2,000 years of history have caused us to look at him only as God, not a man. But when people walked up to him and looked at him, how did they see him? They saw him as a man. I'd like to draw your attention to something in the verse. Verse 3, when the Lord learned of this, Jesus had to learn things. I'd like to draw your attention to verse 6. Jacob's well was there and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey. Jesus got tired. I want to tell you, friends, that the flesh is weak. It's not just weak because of sin. The flesh itself, period, is weak. You have only one way to make it. And it will not be a pledge in your flesh to lead a sinless life. It will not be a religious structure that you say, if I can do these things. It will not work. You make it the way Jesus made it. You have to be baptized in His presence. If His Spirit is not so filling you that you walk in a supernatural way, then you are walking in a natural way, and that is damning, friends. Did you know that Luke 2.52 said Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature? The God of the universe grew in wisdom and in stature. He limited himself as an ordinary human being so that when the supernatural presence of God filled his life, 
you could see something extraordinary and it would teach an amazing message. He is the example for you in every way. An ordinary person that gets tired, an ordinary person that gets hungry, an ordinary person that has to learn things, and yet he depended completely on the Lord who told him everything he needed to know, who empowered him to do everything he needed to do. We call this putting the fruit back on the tree. Man goes wrong in the garden when he decides that he wants knowledge apart from what God has given him. When he desires something apart from what God is giving him. This covetousness has killed us. How many people have chased to their own peril something that God never desired for them? Jesus limited himself only to the things God did desire for yeah. him. How about we pick up in verse 7? Is that okay? Yeah. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The first thing that jumped out to me was when Jesus is about to have this amazing interaction, where are his disciples? Where are those who are being trained to walk with him? Those who are being trained to walk like him, where are they? They're off trying to purchase something they think they need. This is so representative of the church. We're in search of something in the world that we should be getting from Jesus. We're out at Walmart trying to obtain something that only Jesus can give us. We're out looking for the latest program for success when the reality is all we need is more of Jesus. He appointed these men to be with Him, not to be buying food. He appointed these men to learn to walk like Him, not just admire His walk. What did He appoint you for? To lean on the world in worldly ways? Or did He appoint you to receive from Him? To walk with Him? To depend on Him? When you were baptized into His name, what do you think it meant? It meant to be immersed into His character. It meant to have Him so permeate you that when you acted, it would be just like He were acting. I heard one man, Phineas Date, through his writing, literally say, that it is when you are a delegate acting with the power of attorney so that you are doing what he would do if he were there. This is the walk of every Christian, everyone who has been sent by the living God. Amen. The church has so often been in search of the latest answer instead of that ancient path. I want to tell you that the living God does not need a new idea. He needs utter dependency upon him. I wanted to tell you also that I can never help but notice Jesus is always associating with those that others do not associate with. It's not just that she's a woman. She's a Samaritan woman. And it's not him who raises the objection. It's her. But that doesn't seem to bother Jesus, Terrence. Not even a little bit. You might be sitting here thinking, that there are people that, oh, we know 
We know that there's no racism in the kingdom. We know that there is no discrimination in the kingdom. But that's somebody else's ministry, you know? Somebody told me just in this last month, why do I want to go around the world when there's so many lost people here? Because they're people. They're not just those people. They are people. The poorest of the poor in the world do not have the gospel. Do you know that? They don't have the gospel. Never have had the gospel. I will stand with my brothers in villages that the first time they have heard the name of Jesus will be when we speak it. And they can't afford to come here. That means you have to go there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Why is the church unwilling to bear a cost? We want the work of God done everywhere. We just don't want to do it or pay for it. We just want to see it done from a dead. We're off buying food somewhere while the work of God is being done. I'd like to tell you that Jesus wants to associate with those that no one else would associate with. In this country, out of the country, in your neighborhood, out of your neighborhood. The relative that you can't stand, he loves. And it doesn't bother him that you don't like him. It doesn't. Whoever it is that hurt you, you hurt Jesus and he forgave you. So what does that mean you have to do? The real point is the 10th verse though. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We all have one need and it's a drink from heaven. We all have one dependency and it's up for a heavenly substance. That's right. It doesn't matter how many stores we go to. It doesn't matter how many pockets we pick, how many drugs we take, how many movies we entertain ourselves with. What we need is a drink from heaven. Amen. So I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. If you knew who it was who was standing in our midst, you would ask him for a drink. Amen. I think we had a prophecy about that today. Come on. Mm. The Holy Ghost moves in our midst, friends. I know that that seems like a weird thing to denominational crowds. Where are you at, Jacob Braun? Jacob, have I ever come to you before today and told you I had a drink? Ever? No. No. But when I told you that I felt like I had a dream from the Holy Ghost, did it match everything people have come to you and told you in the last two weeks? Yeah. The Holy Ghost is moving in our midst. Yeah. God is on the move. We don't have to wait for Him. He's yeah. waiting on you. Amen. Amen. Question is, are you going to get with Him or stand against Him yeah. today? Yeah. We need a drink of living water. Yeah. Let us pick up in the 11th verse. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and the flocks and herds. Why does the flesh always do this? It's an incurable disease. It's an evil inclination. It is a sinful nature that the Lord of glory is inviting us to take something from him. And the first thing that we see is the inhibility of our flesh. We say things like, our arms are too short and the well is too deep. We might even say of Jesus, your arms are too short and the well is too deep. We find reasons that God can for everyone else, but not for us. Because in doing that, 
We excuse ourselves of having to act. We excuse ourselves of having to show belief. Instead, we can stand back and politely accept that Jesus does it everywhere without having to say he does it here. Is the gospel for some far-off people or did it originate within your heart? I said that poorly. Is the kingdom for someone far off or is the kingdom within you? If the kingdom is within you, then the same Jesus that heals somebody in India heals you here today. If you show the same dependency upon him that they do in India. Do you really think God loves Chinese Christians more than American Christians? Do you suppose that maybe Chinese Christians love God more than American Christians? It is possible. Do you want that to be true? If there were a spiritual Olympics, would America come in last place? Well, you have something to do with that, friends. Are you hungry this morning? Yes. Are you hungry this morning? Let's look at how Jesus redirects her. This would be verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Our flesh points us to all of the inabilities, all of the reasons that our arms are too short. The Spirit of the living God always points you to what He can do through you. You're worried about how deep this well is, and I'm telling you, I can place this entire well inside of your heart and life. There is no limitation that can keep you from experiencing all the fullness of God. But there is something we have to deal with first. You are illegitimately joined to things you should not be joined to. Before the well of living water can flow out of her life, Something has to happen. There has to be a repenting, a turning. Friends, the message of the gospel says repent, the kingdom is at hand. It says there's a well of living water that he wants to flow through you. But it cannot be your way like Burger King. It has to be his way. So there has to be an acknowledgement. Yes, I have sinned. It is wrong. And that's not enough to say. I will do something differently starting now. Your repentance needs to stop being a matter of words and start being a matter of deeds. I know. We've all been taught that Jesus catches the fish and then later cleans them. What a corruption of a godly principle. You'll be sanctified throughout your life. If you think you can come to Jesus without repentance, you have been lied to. The pathway to power The pathway to supernatural blessing has always been the same. It starts with the word repent. And as soon as you begin to make a turn, she hasn't thrown the man out of her house yet. But she decided to. She hasn't told the first person about Jesus yet. But she knows she's going to. 
She knows in this moment everything about her life is fundamentally about to change. And she'll make good on it. Jesus meets her right there in that decision. How many of us have lied to Jesus with our decisions, though? We promised, Lord, if you get me out of here. He did, didn't he? What'd you do? Oh, we've been utterly faithless. And he's been faithful. How long do you think he's going to let that go unnoticed? He'll be faithful to his word, friends. Timothy said it. He will not disown himself. He will be faithful to his own word. Saints, it's time to tighten up the house of God. It is time to walk out what we have professed. Not your husband. The distance between these two principles. Oh, I can't because of the flesh. And I know that I can in your spirit. The distance, the barrier there is called sin. Sin is what Jesus overcomes at the cross. It's what He overcomes. He gives you power over. He came to destroy the devil's work. How dare the church of the living God stand and say, I can't. If you're a slave to sin, how can you be in Christ? And do you know who He said that to? He said it to those who believed Him and followed Him. Read John 8. We cannot stand and blame our flesh for something that the Holy Spirit has given us power over and will receive. Somewhere, responsibility has to be taken. We have to stop asking God for more love, more power, more of you in our life when we're not walking in anything that He has given us now. Stand in a swimming pool and rebuke wetness, I dare you. Do it. Come on, you spiritual people. Go stand in a lake. Get in it up to your head and then rebuke the water. This is what it's like when we stand in sin and declare righteousness. The reality is there is a tremendous struggle going on. But you win it by the power of the Holy Ghost. And when you fall, it is not a fall, it's a stumble because you won't stay there. It's a trip. And you stumble, you hurt your toe, and you say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to run on anyway. And if your leg gets cut off, you're going to hop on anyway. And if both legs get cut off, you're going to drag yourself anyway. And if your legs and your arms get cut off, then you're going to roll with Jesus. Come on. But you're going to move forward in the power of the Spirit. Can you say amen to that? There is no room for whining. God does not speak whinese. He empowers you to overcome your flesh. The unwritten commandment in the Bible is thou shalt not whine. God hates grumbling. He hates it. And there can't be anything more offensive to the Spirit of God than when we stand in His presence and say He can't. Because of our limitation. So this woman has just given an amazing excuse. And what did Jesus do? He put the onus right back on her and her life. What do you do when you're firmly in the crosshairs of the Holy Ghost? The Word of Jesus. You know what discernment is, friends? Discernment is when you are confronted with the Word of God and we get to watch how you react to it. That's discernment. They're all kind of spiritual gifts. And if I can see things 
in the spirit. I'll call that distinguishing between spirits. But discernment is when I tell you what the word says or watch you read it and then see how you react to it because it says everything about how you truly feel about Jesus. When confronted with the word, are we going to obey or disobey? Are we going to obey or disobey? It's a question. Are we going to obey or disobey? Obey. He's going to hold you to your word today. How about verse 19? Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> when called out on your sin, do you lie and blame the person or do you acknowledge that spoken something right? I got to tell you, the messenger gets shot most of the time. In this case, he got crucified. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. When we're done blaming our physical limitations and ignoring the power of God, the second thing that we do is we descend into theological debate. We say, oh yeah, but does he do it all the time? Does he do it every time? In what way does he do it? We begin to try to parse the word of God. And we do it because... There's a desire in us to be exempt from all of the requirements of the kingdom while we claim all of the blessings of the kingdom. This has led to the most ridiculous ideas in history, like God disowned his people and that we replaced them. That's absurd. If he did that, then look out, because Islam says he did the same thing to Christians. This has led to terrible ideas. When confronted with her sin, what does she point to? She points to a theological problem. Do we worship here? Do we worship there? Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. A time, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The answer to all of the theological debate, the answer to all of the straw objection that she had raised is that the kingdom is not a debate. The kingdom is not a location issue. It is a, His spirit, His truth, and His worship in your life issue. The Samaritans had a Pentateuch that was different. Not much different, but different. They had a way of observing Passover that was different. They worshipped in different locations. Jesus said it has nothing to do with any of those things has to do with God's spirit, God's truth, and your worship of Him. There's a revelation that needs to happen, friends. This revelation is Christ that is formed in us. I'd like to tell you that many people have taken this very verse and they've said, I can worship God anywhere. What a lie. It's like saying, oh, I just, it's like saying what we just said. I can worship God anywhere. 
And yet you're not worshiping God right where you are when you say it, are you? I can worship God anywhere is the lie that is received from the devil that allows you to be out of the fellowship God called you to be while justifying yourself. It's a little miniature theological debate right in the middle of a scripture designed to destroy it. You know where you can worship? In the singular place God called you to be. You cannot stand in disobedience to God while worshiping Him. That's not worshiping in truth. This is not a statement designed to control you. It's a statement designed to free you. No matter what everybody else says about your position, if you are standing where God has called you to stand, you are free to worship Him there. Let's read 25 and 26. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. He was standing in front of her the whole time. And she didn't recognize His working. Jesus has been placed in front of us our entire lives and we have failed to recognize His working in our lives. Friends, if we can recognize our sin, we can stop trying to buy food and draw natural water and start craving a heavenly substance. If we can decide to receive from heaven by dealing with our sin, we can put aside our theological debates that are thinly veiled excuses to remain in our sin. We can stop saying we're going to worship God anywhere and start worshiping right where we are. We can live in His truth. You know, none of the theologians that spoke with Jesus, none of them got such a clear statement from the Messiah. Can you point to one other scripture where Jesus says it like this? I who speak to you am He. He said it in very Jewish ways many times throughout the Gospel of John. But He said it so plainly this time. Do you know why? The woman didn't argue with him at all about the state she was in. Not at all. She understood right where she stood. Amen. Amen. Out of the mouth of babies. Oh, Jesus. Look at verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Did he really tell her everything she ever did or the one thing that she didn't want anybody to know was true about it? All he really did was get to the issue. Of course, Jesus has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Good teacher, what must we do to be saved? And he talks to him about being born again. The rich young ruler comes to him, right? And Jesus says, you got to sell everything you have, then you can come follow me. He has a way of getting to whatever stands between you and him and saying, this is the issue. And what do we normally do? We go, no, there's another issue. It's, it's this one. I'm weak. Or it's that one. It's the theological debate. Or it's, 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 it's... it's you said it, sweetie. You preach as well as I do. Stand up. It's okay. Stand up. Tell them. It's what? Everybody else. It's everybody else. <laughs> but the gospel's not about everybody else. It's about you. Amen. It's about whether or not he is really your Lord expressed in your actions or if he's only that thing that you speak kindly about. Amen. So I'm asking you, church, is he your Lord? Yes. 
prove it. Verse 39 was what I had hoped to get to. Not 39. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I'm sorry. 27. They returned, found her. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. God bless them for always having their mind in the wrong place. It's like having an older brother that got caught, right? Showed you what not to do. Oh, you know why it's quiet? You are the older brother, aren't you? Israel is like the older brother to us. Paul went so far in the 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians saying what happened to them was written down as an example for us. We have many examples that are given. And all of them teach one thing. Disobedience causes death. Obedience causes life. It's been going on since he set the law of God before them in Deuteronomy 30. And he said, I set before you life and I set before you death. The choice has always been ours. You know how you know that this woman chose life? Because when you find life, you can't help but go tell everybody you know. And she did. She gave them a testimony. You know what they began to say about the testimony? We don't just believe because she told us. We believe because we've seen and heard for ourselves. How many of you are just believing because somebody else told you? Oh, you heard some preacher say it. You were told you needed to believe it. And so you believe it, but you've never tasted of it yourself. Never experienced it yourself. Oh, my goodness. This is what religion does. It says, Matthew, you need to believe this. And when you believe this, this is what will happen. So that Matt says he believes it. And he assumes that it happened. Whether he feels anything, sees anything, does anything or not. And 20 years later, when confronted with the truth of the gospel, he introduces a theological debate. He says, but I was saved then. Really, Matthew, where was the life-changing experience? Where was the fruit? In what way did you prove it? Who did you go tell? What happened to them? Well, that didn't exist. But I was told what to believe and what would happen. Did it happen? No, but I was told by who? Friends, the Spirit of God in you will witness that you belong to God if you do. Yes, right. You don't need somebody to tell you you belong to God. Best thing ever happened to me is that my daddy, who loved me very much, I loved him very much, was out of town when the evangelist showed up. It's a normal thing for parents to want to comfort their children. He would have said, oh, son, you're saved. Do you remember when you got baptized? Oh, son, you're saved. Do you remember when you won that Bible award? Oh, son, you're saved because if you're not saved, what does that mean about us? So God put him in another state. And the guy that showed up had not been told the same lies we had been told. He simply said, if you say you have fellowship with the Father and you walk in darkness, you're a liar. To which I responded, are you talking about me? I think I, I determined he was, didn't I? Are you walking in fellowship with the Father? The first thing that it does, according to 1 John 1, 5, is when you walk in the light as He is in the light, 
that puts you in fellowship with one another. Your walk with the Father needs to be expressed in your relationship with your fellow man. And if it's not expressed in your relationship with your fellow man, then you are not really walking with the Father. You might be sitting on something that feels like salvation, something that looks like salvation to you. But the way that God reckons it to you as salvation is when you act on that belief you say you have. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Matthew, why don't you make your way up here? Our message is called Supersized Me. Supersized. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What do we overcome by, saints? And what? How can you have a testimony about the blood of the Lamb if you've never really been cleansed from sin? If you're only told what to believe, how can you have a testimony if there is no life change? If your testimony is simply, I went to an altar and prayed a prayer, then you are testifying about a lie. Oh my goodness, that got quiet. Your testimony is what you did since that prayer. That's right. Your testimony, if it is a prayer only, is no testimony because you were lying when you called him Lord oh God that's heavy isn't it it doesn't have to be I'd like to tell you what a supersized meal looks like is that okay come on y'all talk to me help me out what's in a supersized meal Heidi what's in a meal if you go supersize something at Whataburger what you gonna get Daniel come on talk to me about it Oh, I'll be able to taste it. You're going to get fries? What else are you going to get? Come on, somebody help me. You're going to get a big drink. What else are you going to get? A hamburger with how much meat in it? Oh, come on, they even make them with three patties. Somebody testify. And if you get the right kind of burger, it's even got bacon on it. Sorry, it's red. The burger gets bigger. The fries gets bigger. And good Lord, the drink goes over 40 ounces of a non-fermented beverage, my friends. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When those disciples had returned and they saw him, they began to ask him a question. They wanted to know if he wanted to eat something. And in verse 32, Jesus said, But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Jesus had a great big supersized meal planned. He had food to eat that they didn't know. They couldn't buy it at Walmart. It wasn't where they went to go get their food. It had been given to him from heaven. What is the story in John chapter 2? In John chapter 2, we have a wedding, don't we? Where's the wedding? Y'all talk to me. It's in Canaan. And what is the problem at the wedding? They ran out of wine. Verse 6. 
Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. You do that math, and that's about 150 pounds, the weight of an average human being. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. Why on earth is this here? What in a supersized meal happens? Your drinks get bigger? You need a heavenly drink, friend. You want to know what it is to get a heavenly drink? You go share with an ordinary human being. You go talk to somebody who's made mostly of water. You tell them, you may have been born on the sixth day like everybody else steeped in sin. Your whole life may have been defined by it. You could be as ordinary as dirt. But when the master touches you, whatever is ordinary about you becomes extraordinary. That's really yeah. It will be the very best save for last. You go do that for somebody. You go pray for somebody and watch their life change and it will be better than a 7-Eleven Big Gulp, friends. How about in John 4? In John 4, we, we have a different scenario. In John 4, verse 46, it says that we have a royal official. In John 4, 46, once more he visited Cana and Galilee. It's a good thing to live in Cana and Galilee. Where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man, what's that phrase? Oh, my goodness. Jesus did not have to go physically when the man took Jesus at his word. His son got healed. You want to see a full meal? It's not just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's when you see life from the dead because somebody has begun to take Jesus at his word. I have food you know nothing about, Jesus said. We had a drink at a wedding. He had a meal with a royal official. But what is the other thing that is in a supersized meal? What is that last little thing sweetheart y'all told me about? I think it's fries. I think it's dessert, isn't it? Yes. I mean, don't we get a burger? Don't we get a drink? And don't we get fries? Mm -hmm. Yes? No. Yes. yes. <laughs> He took a trick at a wedding. He got a meal when somebody took him at his word. The word is a meal. In John 5, we find dessert. This is the one that I think applies to most in this room. Is that okay? In John 5, we have a pool of water. An angel stirs it from time to time. And whenever the angel stirs it, People get healed, but only the first one in the water. 
one who had been there as an invalid. Would you say that word for me? Would you say it slowly? Invalid. Do you want to be called invalid? I would like to tell you that God is in the business of making people valid. But without a touch from heaven, you are an invalid, unable to work, walk with God, unable to move in His presence, unable to fill your design. Your design was to fill the earth with glory. Your design was to spread His name That's everywhere. Right. This was your design. Your design was to be fruitful, to multiply all over the planet the presence of God. And because of our corrupt nature, We've been invalids, quadriplegics, spiritually speaking. One who had been there had been an invalid for 38 years. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? What an insensitive question. Or is it? How could he not want to get well? Oh, sometimes people get so used to their sin and their broken lives. They want a little bit of relief, but they don't want to get well. You need to know something. Jesus wants those who will do anything. Not those who will do a few things. Not those who will do some things. Not those who will just pray a prayer. I, I, I'm really sick of hearing about it, honestly. Well, I prayed a prayer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you and the rest of the world, but you know what? It didn't result in salvation because you didn't mingle it with faith. Do you want to get well? Yes. See, what a question. Of course he wants to get well. Or has he become so used to his infirmities that he nurtures them, that he loves them, that they become the reason he is the way that he is and does not have to change. See, you don't understand, Pastor. You didn't grow up in my house. You don't understand what was done to me, Pastor. You don't understand how far back this goes, how deep the problem is. Or maybe it's a theological debate. You don't understand, Pastor, what happened to me in church. You don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter whether this happened 38 years ago or yesterday. The question is still the same. Do you want to get well? Anybody love healing? Tell me if you love healing. Yes. You want to volunteer to have a, a boil lanced? Volunteer to have a bone set? The work of God is sometimes painful. You know why? Because it crucifies the flesh. It is such a narrow way that it doesn't allow any of you left in it. Only what Jesus has done in you. It's terrible and wonderful. It's dreadful and glorious. Amen. It's life and it's judgment. And it's happening all at the same time. Ladies, you will understand this. It's just like childbirth. Agonizing and wonderful. The worst moment and the singular best moment of your life. Have you ever read a book that said, how fun labor is. Amen. 
We live in a society where they have tried to make the gospel just fun. Just fun. I recently found out a church has a chicken camp. That's what I said. It's a devilish thing. They focused on circus tricks. It's like the world became one backslidden youth group overnight. The heart of the gospel confronts you with your issue. It confronts me with my issue. You with your issue. And it demands something of you. Full obedience or none at all. You know, Keith Green sang this song. And in it, it was called The Sleep and the Light. He said, if you'll only come to me on Wednesdays and Sundays, don't bother coming to me at all. And his own wife and the producer, who is his best friend, begged him to change it. I love Keith Green because he refused. It is the truth of the gospel. Partial lordship is not lordship. That's right. I want to worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. Do you want all of him? Yes. He will take you just like John 2, something very ordinary, and he will do the extraordinary with you. Just like John 4, if you take him at his word, all things are possible. Just like John 5, it doesn't matter how long you've been the way that you are. If you want to get well, heaven will meet you right here. If you want to get well and you'll do anything that it takes to walk with Him, then He will let you walk with Him. I'm a man who tries to be obedient to prophecy. When it lines up with the Scripture, I try to take it right into my heart. So we're going to finish this message in Isaiah 55. Supersized meal, friends. I've been working a lot lately. And when you don't sleep a lot, one of the ways that you compensate for that is you eat a lot. Because it can be 2 o'clock in the morning and you're tired. But when you get to Whataburger, don't act like you haven't been there. I've seen that. And you get that triple bacon cheeseburger. And you down enough fries that would kill most citizens in other nations. And because you're an American, you swallow all 44 ounces of Dr. Pepper. There is no other drink. There's an immediate adrenaline drop. And suddenly you feel like working again for a little while. Followed by a crash. Where you feel like you can sleep a decade. So when the crash comes, you eat again. Some of our spiritual walks have been so up and down because we're not eating. We are not eating. We're not eating the right thing. We're not after the right thing. Jesus' food was to do the will of Him who sent Him and to complete the work. Oh, you may have started, but have you finished? Oh, you may have heard that there's a job to be done, but have you completed it? You may know that there's food out there, but are you actually eating it? Isaiah wrote to you. He wrote to you and he said, Come all you who are thirsty. You heard this prophecy in other tongues today with an interpretation. How supernatural is that? 
Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Why are you at the store when you should be at the well? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I am making an everlasting covenant with you. This is the cry of the Spirit today from the beginning of our prayer time to the end of our service. The Holy Ghost is calling you. He has work for you to do. Salvation from a sinful and deadly life. Salvation to a productive and fruitful life. Yes. He will deliver you from the domination of darkness. He will bring you into the kingdom of the Son He loves and He will put you to work in that kingdom. He didn't just ask the man in John 5, do you want to get well? He healed him. And when he healed him, he said, now pick up your mat and walk. Amen. I'm going to ask you to show faith today. The first question is, do you want to get well? The second question is, will you do something to demonstrate it? And the third is, will you walk with the mat that you used to lie on? as a testimony for the rest of the world. The woman at the well had every objection you have. She had every sin that you have. But after confronting the truth of the gospel in, in her own nature, she made a good choice. And although she was a racist, she, she's the one that voiced every objection to Judaism and Jewish people, not him. Although she's a woman, Although she was a promiscuous woman, the kingdom took residence in her. And because of that miracle, it took residence in almost everybody in her town. The kingdom takes root in you and it'll move to your family. And then it'll move to the nations. But that choice is yours. We're going to begin to sing, Let Your Glory Fall. When we sing it, his glory will fall. Do you know how we know that? Because we're of the kingdom. Where we stand is where the kingdom is because I'm in Him. When we pray, let your glory fall, we're going to see His glory fall. When He tells you to pick up your mat and walk, are you going to do it? When He tells you that partial lordship is not enough and you heard it, you heard it. You heard it inside in a way that you didn't just hear with your ears. Are you going to stand and come get your drink from heaven? The Spirit says, come all who are thirsty. Yes. So as we sing, let your glory fall.